Well, this is my ninth session here at the church. My goodness, I'm ready to go to heaven. <laughs> We've had a wonderful time, Martin, Lee, and myself, and some of the other friends we have here in the Philippines in this week. What an amazing conference this has been. It's been an honor to be with the other speakers and an even greater honor to be with Pastor Peter and his precious wife and family and the team that's here. And I'm looking forward to this final session today to open your eyes to something that most people have never imagined to be true. You remember that very famous story in the Old Testament about Elisha being surrounded by the enemy and that his servant was very afraid and Elisha was very relaxed. And basically, Elisha said, God, would you open up the veil, the veil between heaven and earth so that my servant could see into a different dimension. We live in the physical dimension here on this earth. We live in physical bodies. And Elisha was asking God to open a closed door because Elisha's servant couldn't see the spirit dimension. He, we can't see, unless God does something unusual, we can't see angels, we can't see demons. They're in a different dimension. We call it the spirit dimension. And when uh, Elisha prayed that, that's what God did. And in an instant, the fear of his servant went away because he saw all these chariots, chariots of fire and fiery angels around, more than all the army that was surrounding Elisha. And in that moment of seeing something, everything in that servant's life changed. I would like to ask the Lord to do something like that for us this morning. It's called theologically enlightenment. That is, that the light goes on in our thinking in a way that uh, we have not done that before. And there is a passage in the book of Ephesians that I want to read to you about enlightenment so you can understand where we're gonna go. And I'm going to see if the Lord would help many of us see past that veil in such a way that it will change us forever. I wanna tell you what happened as I was reading this one time. My friend, uh, Bishop Charles Blake from Los Angeles, California is the leading bishop of the Church of God in Christ, which is the largest African-American denomination in America. And he is the leader of the entire denomination. And he called me one day and he said, Bruce, will you do me a favor? I have to go back to the Midwest where we have our annual meeting of 60,000 of our leaders, 60,000 of them. And he said, would you fly to my church from Atlanta, Georgia, where you live, and would you preach for me two church services on Sunday morning while I'm gone? And I said, Charles, I would be honored to do that. So I decided to speak on a topic called You Were Born for This. And I just had written a book about it, and it was out, and I wanted to preach it, at least one chapter of it. So this was a very big church like this one and a massive choir behind me of about 200 people. And I read a prayer in the book of Ephesians chapter one that the apostle Paul is praying to God 
and asking God to do something for the church that was in Ephesus. It's very rare for a person to write a letter and in the middle of the letter, write out the prayer you prayed for them. But that's what he did. And I wanna read part of that prayer in Ephesians chapter one, verse 15. It says, therefore I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now what's he gonna pray for this church? That the God of heaven, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you something, which means they didn't yet have it. He was asking God to give this church something they didn't have. Dear God, would you give them this? Which means a whole church, those whole church didn't have this yet. That's why he's asking God to give it to them. That you would give them the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now here's the phrase I want you to hear. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Enlightened. That's a very surprising verb in this passage. It's a passive verb. If you take a verb and you make it active, it means I do the action of the verb. This isn't an active verb. It's a passive verb, which means I don't do the action of the verb. Somebody else does the action of the verb to me. I'm passive. It happens to me. And what Paul is saying is, you don't enlighten yourself. That's why I'm asking God if he would enlighten you. And if he does, the light's gonna go on and your life is gonna be different because of what he showed you. Well, Paul goes on and defines what exactly he wants God to enlighten the people about. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, here's the part I wanna focus on, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. That is, Paul felt that that church, the most advanced church in the New Testament, really didn't, hadn't been enlightened about the power of God that was available to them. They were born again, they had the Spirit of God, but they'd never been enlightened. So I was preaching on that in the first service, and it went fine. Then we had a break. And I came back in the second service and the same choir was there. And I read that passage to the people. And when I was done, I looked up to start preaching and I could not open my mouth. It was like somebody took wire in my mouth and I couldn't speak. That's never happened to me before or afterwards. And I just stood there wondering what's going on the choir came to me later on after the service was over and said, we thought you were having a heart attack. We thought you were getting, gonna fall over or something because you just stood there. And I couldn't talk. And I began to panic. What's the matter? And I asked the Lord, is there something the matter? Wondering if he didn't like my first sermon. I didn't know what was going on. And in one of those rare moments, rare times, at least for me, 
God actually answered my question. I asked him, what's the matter? And he spoke directly to me. Nobody heard this, but I did. And he said this, I want you to listen to what God said. Would it be all right with you? Would it be all right with you? Wow. Would it be all right with you if I showed them my power rather than you preaching about my power? Would it be all right with you if I showed the people my power rather than you telling them? And I thought that was a great idea. And I said, that would be fine with me. And then I could talk. Well, I didn't tell the people what just happened. They were just probably thinking I couldn't remember what to say. And I just stood there. I was sweating, obviously. And when I began to talk, I turned to this congregation of thousands of people and said to them, I wonder if God would like to show us what it looks like, what it looks like to enlighten us about the power of God that's available to us. Well, I didn't know what was going to happen because I wasn't going to preach my sermon. So I turned around and walked backwards to the choir. It was a big choir. And I said, let's say somebody lost their job and they used all their money and they maxed out all their credit cards and they're behind in their rent and they're behind in their car payment and they're gonna lose their apartment and be on homeless, they're gonna lose their car and they're desperate and they prayed maybe last night or this morning on the way to church, dear God, I am gonna lose everything. Please send me some money. And let's say that God said yes, uh, I'm going to answer that prayer request. How would God do that? How would he answer that prayer request? He has three choices. He could do it himself somehow. He could ask an angel to go do that, which I've never heard of in church history and I've never seen that in the scripture where he would send an angel from heaven with a sack full of cash to give to this lady. He could, but he doesn't usually do that. Well, then when God wants to say yes to a person who's desperate, what's his third choice? To find a human being that he could partner with to bring that lady money. So I'm saying that to the congregation. And as I walk back, I... Um, look at the first lady, they're all ladies in the first row, and I said to this lady, didn't say anything to her, nor the second person, and I asked the third lady, I said, is it you? And she says, no, 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 it's not me, I'm fine, I'm fine, I don't need any money. And I remember thinking, Lord, this is your turn. And I came to the fourth lady, and I said, is it you? And she said, yes, it is. Are you in a financial crisis? Yes. Are you gonna lose your house and your car? Yes. Did you actually pray and ask God to send someone with money? Yes. And then I turned to this congregation. How could we know that? We couldn't, but he knew that. And he put the whole sermon on hold to show us what does it look like when God Almighty partners with a person to deliver a miracle to somebody else. She wanted a miracle. And God needed a partner, a delivery person, to deliver his yes. So I was on a trip 
and I had quite a bit of cash in this pocket because I was gonna be gone for more than a week. And I gave this lady all the cash I had, which was a lot, here. And she starts to weep. And I said to her, is it, is it enough? And she nods her head and I said, how do you know if it's enough? You haven't counted it yet. So she looks down and she counts it. <laughs> and she looks up at me, she says, no, it's not enough. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that answer. Well, just as a personal thing here, my wife and I many years ago decided that we would carry around some of God's money in a secret place. So I have a secret spot in my wallet and she has one in her purse. We call it our God pocket. And we would take some of our money, not that we were gonna give to the church, but separate money. And we said to God, God, we hereby give you this money and we're gonna carry it around. And anytime you want us to help somebody, just let us know and we'll give them all or whatever you want. So I had my God pocket money, which was quite a bit of money, $300. And so I came over here and I gave her the $300. She starts really crying. And I turn back to the, to the audience. Oh, and um, I didn't know what was gonna happen. It's really exciting when you don't know what God's gonna do, but you know God's gonna do something because it's not your move. So I'm standing up there and this whole congregation is an African-American church. I'm uh, a white and I had two friends in the front row who were also white. And then there was one other white person in the church and he was dressed in a very expensive suit with a Donald Trump red tie. And all of a sudden, this guy jumps up. And this is a massive church. I mean, everybody saw. There was one aisle down the middle. He was way back there. And if we could bring that down, that would be helpful for me. So he starts coming down. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't look at me. He, there was nine stairs all the way up. He walks past me. He has a big fistful of money. And he lays it on the lady's lap. And she's really crying loud now. He walks past me. He goes down. And as his foot, thank you, sir. As his foot hit the floor, like this just came in the floor. Thank you. Um, it's like the spirit of God went like this. And people all over the place stood up, getting their purses out, grabbing cash, and the people on the balcony started running. They're running down, many people with money in their hand, up the nine stairs, put it on a lap, there's a big pile of money, a big pile of money, it's falling on the floor, she is sobbing, she's lost control. And I turned over to the executive pastor who was over here, on the, who was a graduate of MIT, and I said to him, I think we need to help the lady because it's too much. So two of the people came over and grabbed all the money off the floor and helped her, and she was beyond sobbing. If I stopped her, and I didn't, if I had stopped her and said to her, um, 
was this a miracle for you this morning? What would she have said? If it was you, and you got thousands and thousands of dollars, and you had nothing when you came to church, and now you're leaving from thousands and thousands of dollars, what would you call that? A miracle. Was it a little miracle or a big miracle? That's a huge miracle. Some of you are thinking, I wish I was that lady. (laughs) Okay, now I want you to think about this. That means that morning I was a part of a miracle. So was that white man. And then when those two, when the two of us did something, the Spirit of God wanted the church as a whole to rise up and overwhelm the woman. And he wanted to open the hearts of the congregation to give. I turned to the people and I said, once or twice in a person's life, usually no more, God will burst open their heart. He'll burst it open and he'll make them lose control when he shows them how massively he loves them and cares for them. And I said, you're watching a woman whose heart has just been burst open. She'll never forget what God did for her. She'll tell her kids, she'll tell her friends, she'll tell her grandkids. That was a miracle. How did I feel about my life that day? How how would you feel if you delivered a miracle? It doesn't have to be money. It's whatever is needed. And if God had kind of, you know, nudged you a little bit about helping somebody, would you have responded? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to help you understand how heaven and earth is connected. And when God says yes to a person's prayer, usually the way God's gonna answer the prayer is through another person. And people don't understand the connection. So I mentioned at one of the services here that everybody seems to think that heaven is composed of God sitting on his throne and that all of his believers and his angels are singing to him. Obviously they do that sometime, but most Christians think that's what happens in heaven all the time, that what we do is sing. And a pastor came forward and he says, well, that's what I think. I said, so you think that after 1,184 hymns, you're going to sing 1,885, the next hymn? Yep. Forever? Yep. I said, you don't know anything about what the Bible says is going on in heaven. Interesting question. You remember Jesus Christ healed somebody on the Sabbath day on our Saturday, the holy day for the Jewish nation. And the religious leaders had come up with this concept that you can't do that on the Sabbath. It's a sin. It's a sin to work on the Sabbath. And Jesus came back with an answer that is shocking and it fits with our our concept here. That is, up until now, said Jesus, now listen to these words, up until right this minute, my father has been working. What? Your father in heaven is working? Yes. And he's working on the Sabbath? Yes. 
and you're trying to stone me because I worked on the Sabbath when the father is working on the Sabbath? Up until now, my father is working and I have been working. Could it be that what really is going on in heaven is God is working? He's working. What is he doing? Are you tracking with me this morning? How many of you are following with me, at least this far? (laughs) Okay, good. So I wanna show you a passage. Because when you say, when you realize Christ says, my father is working in heaven a lot, then the question is, what is he doing? Could it be he's not only working out his plan, but he's answering people's prayers with yes, no, and if it's yes, how is he gonna deliver that to the other person? That's a mission. I was on a mission. God wanted the money to that lady and he needed a human being who didn't love money and was willing to give it to somebody else, not loan it, but give it, so her prayer could be answered. That's a mission. You remember what God said to, um, to Saul? Saul, I am sending you on a mission. You mean God sent Saul on a mission? Yes. Then you remember when God talked to Jonah and he was sending Jonah to another city that was his enemy to preach and he was being sent on a mission. God was letting him know you're to go on that mission and what did he do? He said, no, I'm not going on that mission and he ran in the opposite direction. What would happen if that's why you're still here? You're still here because of missions that God wants to send you on for other people. Now let's take a little deeper look on this issue of what's going on in heaven. Do you think God, for instance, ever calls all the angels, all the hundreds of millions of angels to a staff meeting? Do you think God the Father ever asks for a volunteer from an angel? And if this angel over here said, I'll volunteer, and God the Father says, I appreciate that volunteer, but I I think this assignment is too difficult for you. Not this time. And another angel comes forward and he says, thank you for being willing, but not really, not this time. And somebody else, hundreds of millions of angels, standing in rank, just like an army. Do you think it's ever possible? Think with me now, come on, think with me. That this angel stands up, breaks rank, walks up in front of hundreds of millions of angels and stands before God and says, I'll do it. And God the Father knows this one, he could do it. But do you think God ever asks an angel, how are you gonna do that? What's your, what's your strategy to do that? Isn't that a different way of thinking about God? You know what we all think he does? He just tells everybody what to do. He certainly wouldn't ask for volunteers and he certainly wouldn't tell an angel you can't. I know it's okay, but you couldn't pull this one off. And he certainly wouldn't ask an angel for their strategy before he said, yes, but what would happen if you found out that's exactly what goes on in heaven? 
And it not only goes on in heaven, but it breaks into earth. Let me see if I can't prove it to you. In 1 Kings chapter 22, there's a prophet of God called Micaiah. And he was brought before two famous kings, the king of Israel and the king of Judah. And they wanted to know what God was going to do about a problem. And God in heaven, without them knowing it on earth, had declared judgment against the evil king and he was going to be killed for what he had done wickedly. And they bring Micaiah in front of him. Now, I wanna just have you really grab this. Here's what it says. Micaiah said, therefore, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 19, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I, Micaiah, the prophet, saw the Lord. Whoa, what happened for him to see the Lord? The veil is opened for him. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. That's exactly what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord on his throne, high and lifted up, and his bit. Yes, but what's the, what's the Lord doing in heaven? I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven The host of heaven, all the host of heaven, means the hundreds of millions of angels and archangels and living creatures and cherubim and seraphim and everything else that's in heaven is in attention in front of God. I saw them all standing before God on his right hand and on his left hand. And the Lord said, now hold on, why are they there? And the Lord said, who, who, will persuade Ahab to go up to this city that he may die in battle? Who will do this? When you say, who will do this for me, what is God asking for? He's asking for a volunteer of the angelic host. And the Bible says, one came forward and wasn't chosen. Then another one came forward and wasn't chosen. Not because they were sinful, but because their capacity for this particular assignment was kind of too difficult for them. Then a spirit, and as you know, angels are spirits. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, just think about this, hundreds of millions of angels and one come, I will persuade him. What's the next thing God said? In what way? God's asking for a strategy. What was God gonna do to that angel? Now hold on to this. He's sending the angel from heaven to earth on a mission that he accepted. Could it be that God's trying to send you on many missions on earth but you haven't been enlightened about how that happens. And when you do, and you realize God wants to send me on many missions, you realize that's why we're called missionaries. We're sent on missions from heaven. And that's why we're here. The problem is that we don't understand this. 
And when God nudges us and lets us know we're supposed to help this person, what do we say? I can't do that. I don't know what to say. What happens if they ask me this hard question? When the prayer of Jabez was selling a million copies a month, a million copies a month, month after month after month, Hollywood called me up at home and said, will you please fly out to Hollywood and talk to some directors and producers and head of movie companies because they can't understand why a book on prayer is outselling every other book that's there. Would you come and talk to them? So I flew out there and a man picked me up at the Hollywood Hotel and he says, I've made 26 Hollywood movies. I've won many awards. This is the first time in my 26 years here that they've ever invited a religious person to talk to them. There's usually 20 to 30 of these high-level people. They're agnostic, they're atheist. This is gonna be something. So we arrived that night and we went in this building and instead of there being 25 or 30, this room had 450 people. And they wanted a question answer. And I opened the floor up after talking for a few minutes and a man way back here yelled out, I don't really believe the prayer of Jabez. I don't believe it's gonna work. Do you believe it works? I said, yes, I believe it works. No, you don't. I said, wait a minute. I thought you asked me if I believed it. And now you're telling me I don't believe it. I do believe, why do you believe it? Why do you believe that God says yes to the prayer? Would you please expand my territory Would you let me do more for you? That's what that prayer is saying. Would you let me do more for you? I said, let me show you why. Let's say this this lady right over here has a 16-year-old daughter that really got into drugs, got into trouble, ran away, police brought her back. She doesn't know what to do. In desperation, she prays to God, God, please, send somebody to, to, help, to help me to know what to do to help my daughter. And God in heaven uh-huh, says yes. How does God do that? I said, you know what he does? He makes, he, he kind of, we call this in theology, he nudges a person. All of a sudden she's making dinner and God goes like this. Psst, remember her? And she knows she's supposed to call her but she has no idea why, so what does she say? Nope. Then at the grocery store that night, she's walking through and she sees that lady with tears in her eyes. She's so upset buying food for supper that night. And she sees her and she knows, she knows in her heart, I'm supposed to go, I should talk, I should talk to her. And what does she say? I don't know what to say. I see, I said to this group of 450 people, I said, how many of you have had that happen at least once in your life that you knew God wanted you to help a person and you said no? Would you raise your hand? All 450 people raised their hand. Because that happens. God doesn't have to have a Christian, it could be a non-Christian. I said, the hard part of this whole conversation is to come to grips with the fact that God can't find a delivery person. Everybody's saying no. So if there's a person, 
back over here, who has a heart of the prayer of Jabez and has got their hand up saying, dear God, please send me. Please let me do something for you. Please expand my territory. What do you think God's going to do? He's going to say, please do this for me. That's why the prayer of Jabez works. So as you begin to think about this, you must become aware of what these nudges are. These are nudges. They're a little push. Sometimes you know something, sometimes you don't know it. But that's often how God invites a believer to partner with him. As I'm uh, speaking here with you about this, I remember um, in South Africa, we were just back in the room upstairs talking about South Africa. I was there with my son and Martin and Lee and we had 10,000 people for a week in the dome, the largest building in South Africa. And on Friday night, we finally were finished and we got back to the hotel at 10 o'clock at night. We went back and hurried back to get a bowl of ice cream because we both love ice cream before going to bed. And we get there five minutes before 10 when the restaurant closes. And we sit down in this little booth right here and the waitress comes up and I say, my son and I just hurried over from our meeting just to have a bowl of ice cream. Can we, can, could you possibly get us some ice cream? She says, oh, I'm sorry, I wish I could, but um, the kitchen's closed. But we have some old coffee that I'll be glad to give you, but it's kind of gray. You're not gonna like it, but I have some. Would you like some coffee? And our, you know, our heart sunk and I said, oh ma'am, can't you really just find a way to get some ice cream for us? And she says, well, okay, because it's just you and your son, I'll get you some coffee. So when she turned, now this is how it works. When she turned, I knew, no voices, no nothing, just knew. I'm supposed to give her a big tip. I always tip people a lot, unless they do something that's inappropriate. So I'm thinking, how much money am I supposed to give this lady? And she turns away, and my son, out of the blue, says to me, Dad, yeah, Dave, I, I think we're supposed to give that lady a big tip. What is that? Working. Dave, you think so? Yeah. Do you know how much? No. <laughs> but Dad, uh-huh, you're supposed to be the person who gives her the big tip. You know how, how kids know this. Well, I had been to the bank before the week began and I had what's called South African Rand, which is their dollar bills. And I had a wad of them because of the exchange rate. And I had a wad of them in this pocket. And I didn't know how much to give the lady. And I keep praying, Lord, how much do you want me to give the lady? No comment, no comment, no comment. The lady comes back with two bowls of ice cream stood here and I say to her, I'm so thankful that you are, you are so kind and my son and I want to give you a small thanks. I was so unclear about how much to give her <laughs> that I panicked and I gave her the whole thing. I just did. She had a pocket right here and I just stuck it in. I didn't want him to see how much it was because I was embarrassed and I didn't want the lady to know because I didn't want her to think anything else besides a tip. 
So I slipped it in and I felt, I give that lady a whole lot of money. Two minutes later, she comes back looking at the floor and she stands next to us and said, you know Jesus, don't you? Just like that. And I said, why would you say that? Because only Jesus knows. Only Jesus knows what? She says, I, I live alone with my little baby. And business has been so bad that I've not been able to pay the rent. And my landlord came to me today and said, if you don't pay me the back rent before 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, we're going to throw you and all of the stuff and your baby out on the street. And she said, on the taxi to work. I said to Jesus, Jesus, don't you love me? Don't you love my baby? Don't you care if we live on the street? Please help us. And then she said, do you know how much the rent was? No, ma'am. It's exactly the amount of money you gave us. What's the point? The point is, how many of these types of miracles is a part of your life? And do you know how to unlock them so this becomes not, not, not money all the time, it's not money, it's all kinds of things that happen. So after that service was over at Bishop Blake's church, <laughs> they had me signing this new book I wrote called You Are Born For This. And after about 100 people, there was about 250 people in line, a guy came up to the table that I was signing books on and leaned over and whispered in my ear, I don't want one of your books. I looked up, it's the white guy. I said, it's fine, you don't have to buy a book. He said, no, no, I already have the book. You already, you already have the book? Yes. He said, I'm a business guy. I don't know about all this stuff. But you said in the book, use the master key in one of your chapters. It unlocks everything. I said, it does. He said, I was laying in bed Sunday morning, right? He said, I'm laying in bed. And I said, you know, God, I want to try this master key thing. So here's what he said. I prayed to God and said, I officially ask to be sent on a divine mission, a miracle mission today. No kidding. First time I've ever done that, he said. Well, that's great. So what happened then? He said, well, by the time I got dressed, I said, God isn't going to use me. I'm a business guy. I don't know all this stuff. And I'm not perfect. And I sin sometimes. And this isn't going to work. He says, I'm driving to, work, to my church this morning. And a person in the back seat in a loud voice said, don't go to your church. Go to that church over there. He said, it was so loud, I thought I had somebody that was going to rob me in my back seat. He said, I turned back and there was nobody there. And he said, whoa, that was God. That's the first time in my life God ever said anything to me. He said to go to this church. And he said, I look over and that's a black church. And I'm a white guy. White guys don't go to black churches and vice versa. But he said, you know, I knew I was supposed to go. So I went, no kidding, that's how you got here today. 
yeah. Well, what happened? He said, well, I'm wondering where's my miracle that I'm supposed to do? He said, I'm sitting back here watching this and watch when you gave the lady all that money and she starts crying. And then God talked to me again, second time in one day. What did he say? He said, that's why you're here. This is your mission. Give the lady everything you have. He said, that's why I stood up. He said, I had a lot of money because I'm kind of rich. And I came up, didn't ask permission because God told me this is what I'm supposed to do. And I gave that money to the lady. And he said, you know, the greatest miracle of the day wasn't the lady, it was me. Now, what would happen, my friend, if you started living this way? If you understood (laughs) that God is still on the throne and he hears millions and millions of prayer requests and the hardest thing for God is to find somebody of their own free will that will be his missionary and deliver whatever it is that God wants. Because we say no, because we don't understand the significance of the Almighty picking us out of everybody else in the universe to do this one thing. Because we think, I won't be able to do this. But we don't understand. When an angel came who wanted to do it, but God knew they couldn't succeed at it, what did he, no, I'm sorry, not this time. No, sorry. Yeah, you could do it, you could do it, but first tell me your strategy. Then God delegates it to that person. God only nudges you and me when he knows you can do it. But you have to understand, it's a partnership between God and you and the person who needs it. So I wanna see if I can't demonstrate this for a minute. Would you and you and you? Just come on up for a minute. You don't have to say anything. Just come up here. Yeah, you're on TV. (laughs) So just stand right here. We're gonna show you how this works because once you understand how it works, you can relax. Here's God. And let's say this lady, you stand right here and face God. I'm not God, that's God. (laughs) Face God, no, just face this direction. Yes, thank you. And she's in a crisis of some, excuse me, in a crisis of some kind and she prays to God. And God thinks, it's to her benefit, I say yes this time. And God, sir, if you'll stand right here, mm-hmm, and then turn this way, perfect. And he needs to find somebody that has the experience that she's in trouble about or something, and he, kind of selects this person as the delivery agent. That's all you are. When a postman in America or a FedEx person comes and delivers, you know, a package uh to your house, what does the delivery guy do? He comes out of his truck, (laughs) knocks at the door, here, 
That's all you are. You're not somebody special when you're involved in this. You're a delivery agent. This is what God wants. You're the only the hands or the feet or the delivery person. Now, when God the Father or God the Son, it's Jesus or God the Father assigns these things, when they do, the third member of the Trinity is the Holy Spirit. Hello, Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is assigned the responsibility to implement, to implement, to make happen this thing. So the Holy Spirit, without even this person knowing it, is encouraging this person to pray and ask. And he makes her become more desperate for it. Then he gets behind this person over here, walks over here, and without him knowing it, excuse me, if you'll just stand right here, yeah, he does this, he bumps, and she has some tears in her eyes or something, and he makes him go to the park the same time she goes to the park, and everybody else is walking and doesn't really notice her, but the Holy Spirit makes this guy see her tears and pushes on him just a little bit. It's at that moment, if you've not been enlightened, you'll misunderstand. That's an introduction, an invitation for a miracle. You don't have to know what to say because God the Spirit does know what to say and does know what to do if you just trust him. This is how it occurs. There's always four people involved in every one of these missions. It's either God the Son or God the Father saying yes. There's a person in need, some kind. There's always a delivery agent, a person. And there's always the Holy Spirit whose responsibility is to break bring these two people together. Let's give these guys a hand. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, sweet. Thank you. Oh. So, excuse me. How many of you are following this? Understanding this? Do you understand this can be normative now on? Can be a regular part of your life? How do you think you would feel as time goes on and you have these kinds of experiences? I want to tell you my favorite story like this because I, I love this story because it happened. I was on my way to fly to the Billy Graham uh, Training Center in North Carolina in America to be the speaker for the weekend. And there was an accident on the road on the way to the Atlanta airport in Atlanta and the, all the freeways stopped. It's like Manila, stopped. And I kept praying, Lord, you know, you need to help me with this traffic. I'm the only speaker for, and you know, this is for Billy Graham, you know, you remember who he is? <laughs> and the traffic didn't move. And I realized I was gonna miss the plane and that was the last plane of the day. And I said to God, okay, would you hold the plane for me? You have not because you ask not. 
And then I laughed out loud. I'm asking God to hold the plane. So I got to the airport and I ran up the escalator and I turned right, concourse A, gate 16, and it was all these people around and the big board said delayed. And I was, I was so happy. I came over to the two ladies behind the desk and I said, oh, there, there, the plane is delayed. Yes, sir, it is. I know why. You know why? Why do, why do you think it's delayed? It's delayed because I was, it was an accident on the road and I asked God if he would mind holding the plane for me. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Well, there was a Christian and a non-Christian and this lady was a Christian and she says, well, I do believe God answers prayer. And I said, well, I'm not sure if he did or not, but it certainly felt that way to me. And I just wanted to let him get the credit for that. So I was so happy. I was thanking God for doing that. There was no seats. And so I walked over to where the glass wall was in the, air, in the airport that overlooked the planes. And I was sweating and I was sitting here and I listened carefully. I said to God, that was terrific. Thank you. If there's anybody around who needs something, I have a few minutes. What's that saying? I want a mission right here. Do you remember Isaiah 6? Very famous passage. Another man named Isaiah sees the Lord, sees into the spirit dimension, what's going on. And you know what he hears God say? Who can we send on a mission? He's asking for a volunteer. Who can we send? And the second sentence is, and who will go for us? Because God sends lots of people who won't go. That's true for many of you in this room. Because the light never went on. You never understood. That's God inviting me, me, on a mission. Saying no is a big thing. Don't say no. Even though you'll immediately feel afraid, everybody does, that's not from Satan. That's fear of the unknown. I don't know how it's, what am I supposed to do? You don't have to know yet. The Spirit's with you. So I said that to him, which is the master key. God, send me on a mission. God hears it that quick, and there's a whole area at the gate filled with people, and there's lots of them that have needs that God wishes he could meet. So I've learned to do this many times, and I turned around and knew the first person I saw was going to be that person, whoever it was. And I turned around, and my heart sunk. It was a lady that had a very hard face. She was dressed in all black leather and a very expensive black roller bag, and she just looked like, I don't want to talk to her. And I said to God, can you give me somebody else, not her? So I turned to this lady. Now, this is how it happens. This is how it happens. I said to her, um, I see you're glad that the plane was late too, right? Yes. 
And I am too. I said, um, is there anything I could do for you? What? Is there anything I can do for you? No, there's nothing you can do for me. Why did I ask that question? Because in reading through the Bible, I found out that Elisha used that question on two different people and a miracle followed, what can I do for you? And God the Father asked Solomon, what can I do for you? And a miracle followed. And Jesus used the same question, what can I do for you? What, what do you want me to do for you? And a miracle followed. So I started using that question, what can I do for you? It sounds odd, but it's not. And the lady was very defensive. She was in a bad mood. And I said, okay, if I can't do something for you, maybe you could do something for me. What? What do you do? Oh, I'm a doctor. Okay, can I ask you some medical advice? Because I had a problem. And she said, you want some free advice? I said, yes. Well, okay. And she gave it to me. Then I said, well, thank you. Now it's my turn. What can I do for you? Well, if you have to know, I'm flying home right now to divorce my husband. That's why I'm here. Are you a marriage counselor? <laughs> I am now, yes. <laughs> what, what, no, put, this, put all this together, this isn't a sermon. This is a look on how heaven and earth work. If you understood that the Father never stops saying, who on earth can we send? Who will go for us? And when God sees one of his children, please send me on a mission. <laughs> That's what it's all about. So I began to minister to this lady and she became emotional because she's filled with fury and anger and bitterness. And she became, and people started looking at her and I said, we, we need to get away from the audience, the, not the audience, the people. There was no seats, but there was a wall over there and I walked over and I said, here, why don't you stand here so the people couldn't see her because she's right looking this way. And God was working in her life and we were so into the conversation that we didn't notice that everybody had gotten on the plane. We didn't even know it. And one of those stewardesses, the believing stewardess, came running over and said, you're going to miss the plane. You need to get on the plane. And the lady, before she knew what she was saying, said, oh, no, we need to finish the conversation. And I said to her, it's okay. We'll talk on the plane. And we started walking down the runway to the plane, the, the walkway to the plane. And she says, what do you mean? I said, well, God will put us together. God, first time I used that word. God, what do you mean God will put us together? I said, well, if you were God, wouldn't you want your marriage to come back together? What are you talking about? Well, what seat are you in? I don't know. Well, how can we sit together? I don't know, let's wait and see. So she takes out her boarding pass. I take out my boarding pass. We're three aisles different. And we walk down. There were three seats on this side and two seats on this side. Little plane. Walking down, she sits in this aisle right here. And as I walk past her, she says this. Yeah, right, we're going to sit together. And I said, God, it's your move. Because it is. I do my part, he does his part. 
He does his part much better than I do my part, but together it's okay. So I walked past and I had three rows back, the aisle seat. So I'm sitting in the aisle. Next to her is a very big, very overweight man. Barely can fit. He stands up, turns around, puts his left knee on the chair and points to me and says, it's obvious you're traveling together. I hate the middle seat. I'll trade my middle seat for your aisle seat. And I said, that'll work. (laughs) So he gets up, she moves over, I sit down, she says, well, maybe that was God. And before we landed, wait, before she landed, she forgave her husband, she gave her heart back to her husband, and she committed, recommitted to their marriage. And as the wheels hit, yeah, but wait, put this together. Had I not had that conversation with that lady, she'd have gotten divorced. That happens all the time. And depending upon those of you who are serious in moving forward with the Lord, do you realize how many miracles your life could have this year if you just kept knocking on the doors of heaven saying, I'm here, I want to go on a mission? And then you pay attention to a little, we call it in English, nudge. It's a nudge, it's awareness, or you see somebody who's troubled and you intercede for them. You count on the Holy Spirit. Now as we close this, has the Lord been touching some of your hearts about this? Has this enlightened some of you? If you've been enlightened and you said, oh man, I've I've said no too many times, I'm not gonna say no again. Let me see your hands if that's, yes, yes. When we get together and our grandkids get together, you know what they always say? Granddad, tell us some more stories that happened since last time we were here. Why? These are stories which inspire them that they can do this for other people, even in their teens, because they can. Well, I just want to say on behalf of uh, Teach Every Nation and Martin and Lee, and we love coming here. We love your, your church and you. And we do believe that those of you who are, who are D-leaders, that you will encourage your people to start their own group. That's the vision of Jesus. And now you know how to do it. You say to God, God, send me to the first person that's gonna be in my small group. Send me on a mission to that person and then <laughs> pay attention to what takes place. Let me close in a word of prayer with us. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this conference. What a conference it has been. We thank you for your spirit and your word. Lord, if you didn't write this in the book we know as the Bible, we have no idea that God is working in heaven for the people who are living on earth and that he's looking for volunteers, not perfect people, but available people. And we join together and ask that you would send thousands of the men and women of this church into the marketplace to bring miracles to the people who are asking for them. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen and amen.